Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. Today is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Marty Bennett. And over the next 30 minutes, we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators this past week. First up, is this Chinese student lawsuit political theater? Will Hope College's Hope Forward work? And finally, should rankings remove testing data from criteria? So we'll answer those three questions and more in our roundup today. And if you're wondering where we get the themes we have each week for the roundup, look no further than our weekly newsletter, the S all the SMIE news fit to share, and that stands for Social Media and International Education News. That newsletter comes out Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can subscribe for free uh, using the link on the edition of the latest edition of the newsletter that I'm dropping in the Facebook comments section for this post. Or you can go to uh, our SMIE Consulting website at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe to see all the past editions of the newsletter as well as links to how you can uh, subscribe to our podcasts if you like to download the roundups each week uh, for your listening pleasure or watch them on repeat on YouTube or Facebook. So thanks very much for being a part of the SMIE community, and we look forward to uh, helping you find answers to some of the questions you have about international education these days. So up first, we have a new, uh, new lawsuit uh, that's been filed, or uh, I shouldn't say filed, it's planned to sue. Uh, over 1,000 Chinese students plan to sue the U.S. for visa restrictions, and they fear extension to the arts and businesses. And this is out of Global Times, uh, and this is uh, one of the uh, kind of mouthpieces for the, for the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, in terms of where, uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, this is, uh, if you've read, if you kept up with our roundups in the last couple of weeks, we've focused on some of the, uh, some of the, some of the Chinese students that have been uh, either put into administrative processing uh, because they are uh, graduate STEM students that are uh, under still under the, the guise of the uh, Trump administration uh, presidential proclamations that um, took exception to the students applying from uh, institutions or had family members who were part of the PLA or uh, police forces or those types of things in China that uh, part of the civil military civil fusion strategy that China has adopted to, to work its way into research and scholarly positions and student positions in STEM fields to potentially uh, steal uh, technologies and, and intellectual property law. We've talked about that here on the Roundup. So this lawsuit is uh, something that uh, they are the the way the the opening line to this uh, to this uh, to this uh, to this article tells you everything you need to know about uh, kind of the tenor of where it's coming from. Over 1,000 Chinese students decided to cast away their illusions and file suit after they found that despite the U.S. Embassy in China reopened to process visa applications in early May, strict restrictions on those with high-tech backgrounds remain in place, and such restrictions are extended to those applying for study in literature and business. So this is the, this is the piece that uh, 
Uh, we talked last week about STEM. What are we going to do with Chinese STEM students because of the, uh, the, the regulations or the presidential proclamation from the Trump administration that have not yet been dismantled, and some, with some good reason, uh, for fear over intellectual property theft and, and technologies being stolen. Uh, these are uh, the, the students that are being targeted are, according to this article, and in probable reality, are, are mainly from eight Chinese-leading science universities, which have always been U.S. targets, as they believe to have links to the Chinese military. So there's that. There's the only link, really, that's uh, talking about that military-civil fusion strategy that we've mentioned before. So those, uh, those are restrictions that are, again, targeting graduate STEM students. And again, it's a much smaller, uh, it's graduate STEM students are the initial target, as we talked about last week, but that, that target was reduced to those with uh, coming from institutions that have uh, PLA ties and civil military fusion ties. And that's the, uh, it's not just for STEM, it's also for other fields. And it was, uh, and this, uh, this case is from uh, the students that, from these institutions that the U.S. government has targeted as, as having these military ties that uh, are out to steal information. Uh, and there are cases pending in the U.S. This is not news, uh, any, and it shouldn't be, not be news to any international educators that these cases have been going on. Uh, and are, have made their way through courts and all of these things. Uh, and they're, they're being, uh, the individuals that have been caught here in the U.S. are being caught for um, basically lying about their ties uh, to the military uh, in their, in their ap visa applications and uh, when they went for their interviews and all of that. So uh, these are students from eight schools, and you wonder, obviously, if they are Chinese, Chinese students organizing like this against uh, a foreign entity, uh, you, you know that's not happening on its own, uh, and you uh, feel fairly comfortable that uh, if these, are, these students are coming from these eight institutions that supposedly, according to this article, have um, ties to the, to the military and, and, and thus the Chinese Communi Communist Party, that very much so this is, a, this, is, this, is, this is in reality an act of theater, what I'm calling political theater. So it's a way to uh, stick it to the U.S. Uh, again and the legacy of Trump living on and that the impression there. China wants to hold on to that as, mu as long as possible. Uh, and uh, it's, it messes with their world domination plans uh, through soft power and all of the things that they've been doing over the last 10 to 15 years. So uh, the, this, is, this is something, it's a group of a thousand, and a thousand sounds like a lot. Uh, and certainly in the scope of the, uh, of the uh, number of Chinese students in the United States, where there are over 300,000 uh, in the U.S. Uh, on student visas, this is a drop in the bucket. And frankly, if it uh, and if it's a f it's a focused uh, uh, approach by the U.S. government to target students in, in from institutions that do have these ties, uh, and China will never admit to that, obviously. Uh, but that that they don't get organized all by themselves to 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 do to propose a lawsuit. And I don't know who they're filing a lawsuit against uh, against the U.S. government and where that's wh where they have standing to to have that uh, case heard. Uh, that's that's something that uh, I again I don't see this court this case ever making it anywhere near a courtroom. But uh, in terms of what what would have to happen in order for a case to be heard like this, so 
it's a it's it's, a, it's an attempt to to paint the U.S. as this big bad ogre again, uh, the, uh, denying the hopes and dreams of uh, of Chinese students. And again, these aren't these aren't just uh, high school students; these are graduate students uh, who have been at institutions studying for a bachelor's degree, looking for advanced degrees in the U.S. or other countries as well. Uh, and that's that certainly um, certainly is something that I, I think will get. Uh, won't get as much attention here in the U.S., uh, but uh, certainly in China, that's a fodder for the for the mill there, uh, in terms of uh, of, uh, of stoking negative uh, impressions of the U.S. Uh, when it comes uh, kind of dissuading potential uh, Chinese students uh, from studying in the U.S. Uh, the reality is, uh, from all the surveys we've been seeing over the last six to eight months. Uh, Chinese students are still very much interested in the U.S. and that parents are much more practical and realistic uh, about their, their their children's options, particularly at the undergraduate level, uh, for where they want to study. So it's 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 I, the, certainly the corner has been turned. It's not they're not it's not the tap is wide open again in any in any case. But certainly I think the future is still strong for U.S.-China relations and, and on the higher ed front. Politically, there will always be. Uh, Contentiousness going on between the two governments. Um, uh, there's talk of a new Cold War, and it's being uh, with primarily uh, China, but also Russia as well, uh, in terms of uh, this whole the whole um, disinformation campaigns and social media uh, bots, and uh, that have taken over a lot of a uh, lot of uh, social media discussions. Uh, and influencing political elections, we've heard all about that. But certainly, in um, well, uh, with our, with regard to um, with regard to what we're talking about uh, with this lawsuit, again, I think it's political theater. It's never going to go anywhere. Uh, they can't. Uh, the U.S. government has its right to review uh, cases uh, that they think are threats to national security uh, and and deny visas uh, purely at their discretion, and that's not something. Um, individual students have control over. Um, so if they want to study in the U.S., they have to jump through our hoops, just as students that want to go study in China have to jump through their hoops if they want to do that. And right now, those that want to study in China can't actually get into the country and haven't been able to since uh, February of 2020. Uh, so international students who want to be in China to study at their universities have certainly not gotten the welcome mat rolled out for them recently uh, since since the pandemic, and uh, certainly no signs of them opening up anytime soon for international students. So it's 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 a little bit of pot calling the kettle black on this one uh, for for China to be. Uh, Refusing entry uh, for uh, for international students who want to study in China, but the U.S. is doing the same for um, national security reasons as opposed to uh, health and safety reasons uh, that the Chinese government has. Governments have that uh, that right to do that and control who they let into the country. So purely political theater, as far as I'm concerned, with this lawsuit, threat of a lawsuit, whatever it might be. So on to something much more positive, with our second question. Uh, if you're in higher education in the United States, uh, particularly uh, have have feet in the in the financial aid world, uh, certainly if you're a parent of a student that's applying to colleges in the U.S., you've heard of um, you know of all the challenges with student loan debt, uh, with the increasing prices of colleges and universities without that are far outpacing uh, pacing the the rules here. Uh, with regard to uh, with the uh, with regard to the costs and the 
and, uh, and uh, outpacing inflation and all of these things. So one college uh, in Michigan has, uh, has begun a new campaign uh, that uh, is a, a very different take on how to approach uh, higher education funding. And it's Hope College in Michigan. And this, uh, this it's, a, it's, a, it's a Christian college uh, in, uh, in Michigan uh, that is uh, in Holland, Michigan, that's famous for their tulips in the spring. Uh, they really, uh, the president uh, introduced this in his inauguration in September of 2019, and the Board of Trustees has just approved it as of January, uh, where the goal is, it's called Hope Forward. And the goal of this uh, plan is to, as the president says, we're excited to be pursuing a new model for funding higher education rather than require students to pay for their education in advance through what is too often a transactional relationship. We are working towards a funding model based on the pr biblical principles of generosity and gratitude. Once it's implemented, students will receive a transformational education for which others have paid. Then, when they are graduates, we will ask them, out of gratitude for what they've received, to be generous in response by investing in future generations of students. And my goodness, could you ask for uh, a radical, a more radical transformation of how uh, higher education is conducted? And he, he makes the case clearly that uh, it's part of their mission as a Christian institution, and, and I certainly get that, that they want to make it available to all students, not just those from wealthier backgrounds. But they also recognize that, uh, as he puts it, the business model of higher education is broken, and we want to pursue a more sustainable framework. And that is something that, uh, when, they, when you look at the outcomes for what he's envisioning here, they want to enable their graduates to enter their career and communities with a focus on positively impacting the world unburdened by tuition debt. And that's, uh, it's, he's admitting it's going to take many years to see to fruition, but uh, to, to see this goal is probably taking, uh, and the goal is to raise a billion dollars uh, to uh, their endowment right now uh, at Hope College is somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, uh, let's see how much, how much we got here in, in their endowment right now. They're looking at 280 million in their endowment currently. They need to increase that by at least a billion to fully fund the program. It's gotten off the off the off the off the off the base. Off the, it started this year, I should say, with uh, two um, with a, with a gift from a anonymous donor to um, with a certain cohort, 22 students this fall, that their tuition will be fully funded by a private gift, and a similar uh, cohort next year will be funded by that same donor. And this is he's kind of the whole concept of this paying it forward approach, hope forward, is really gearing it to. Um, by providing free tuition, it's not the whole—it's not the whole cost of education. You still need to pay for your fees and books and uh, and room board that type of thing. But uh, this is just earth-shattering. I mean, in terms of a private institution being able to do this, you know, uh, when you when you see the dollar amounts that they're talking about to increase their endowment a billion dollars, right now there are very select few private institutions and some larger state institutions that have that kind of endowment strength uh, in the billions of dollars uh, to do that. And, they, and to their credit, they're doing that now, but they're doing it with using the, you know, the interest from their endowments to fund scholarships for the neediest students. Uh, but they are basing it on need, not for everybody. 
so this is something that I think is a very refreshing concept. It can it be applied to every college and university. Certainly don't think uh, the model is there that would allow that with like particularly state institutions, small regional uh, state universities would probably not have the bandwidth for the funding drives that are necessary. And certainly uh, at a private Christian school like Hope, you have a clientele that's already buying in to one of the reasons they send their kids to the to a school like Hope is because of the mission of the institution and um, in terms of a Christian focus and that. So the broader implications, though, I would love to see it uh, happen. Or in a, instead of ha relying fully on uh, a lot of, um, of these free college ideas uh, that exist now, particularly free community colleges, that the, the burden falls on the taxpayers to fund these initiatives uh, through the local, through the state and local governments. Uh, it's not national funding for this. So it's really interesting to see where this is going to go uh, that um, with, the, um, with, the, with, the, with the plans for this. It's certainly a beacon of hope, I think, uh, no pun intended, uh, for, for, for students and the, from an international perspective. Uh, and talk to my colleague, um, uh, colleague at, uh, at, at Hope, Jim Crawley, who's been heavily involved in NASA for many years, leader there. Uh, he's, 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 he's also indicated this is, this is for international students. It's all, literally going to be for all students. Uh, I don't think any are going to be involved in this initial cohort this year or next year, but in the long run, if this, if this happens, uh, it, would make, um, it would make available uh, this Hope Forward process of free tuition uh, to, uh, to all students who attend the college. So that's something that I think is... Uh, what an incredible uh, marketing tool that is going to be for the institution uh, in terms of the expanding their pool uh, ex uh, when, it, when it's fully functional. It's not there yet, obviously, but it's a thought and a goal that is certainly a, uh, uh, an out there goal. It's a, it's a big goal out there uh, that you want, uh, you want to have, that, have those kind of visionary leaders at your institution if they're willing to back it up and if the university community, the university alumni community, are behind this, and I hope they are, then that bodes well for the future. And uh, we're talking a billion dollars for a small, small, uh, small college, private college. That's a lot of money, but to do it, to be, and if they're able to do that in the next 10 to 15 years, what a remarkable um, uh, accomplishment that would be and uh, signal perhaps a turning point. And uh, you can see a lot of other private colleges uh, certainly seeing, paying very close attention to how this, uh, this project goes because it, it obviously uh, changes the dynamic and changes the model completely uh, for how, uh, how institutions are, are, are funded. Uh, basically, it would be, in this case, it's alumni and don private donors that would be funding future students' uh, educations at HOPE because their graduates and alumni, eventually all graduates would be able to pay, pay, back, pay it back to the institution uh, that had paid, paid it forward to them initially to allow them to achieve their goals and to achieve their career uh, objectives. So really excited about what this might mean for higher education in the United States. Uh, again, a very different model and certainly one that I don't see applying to every college and university. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a it's one that I think has some such great merit and to hold hold your hold your hold hold yourself as an institution up to some higher standards, which I, I absolutely approve of. Uh, 
but also changing the culture on, on the campus to actually start living out your principles as an institution, as a Christian institution in particular. Uh, and I think that that uh, of paying it back, of having a, a life, living a life of generosity and gratitude and what that looks like is that uh, money is, uh, uh, is the, the, the love of money is the root of all evil, but in, as the Bible says, not love of money. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, money isn't the root of all evil, the love of money is. Uh, and that's something uh, that I think when you, when you look at your life, if you haven't had to pay four years of a private school a tuition, which could run thirty, forty thousand dollars a year for for many private schools, if not more, and then be able to over time pay that back uh, to to uh, to future students uh, and to help pay it forward for their 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 lives. Uh, that's that's just something that you can you can feel confident knowing that you're you're living living your mission out, uh, living your principles out that you learned as a student there. And so I really love the the confluence of of um, of, 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 of how you live your life and how putting those uh, putting your principles into action being manifest in what this institution is trying to do and I, I think it, it is going to break the model if it if it uh, the current model business model because it clearly is is already broken and it's going to give a, a very stark alternative to how uh, institutions can can manage uh, and fund uh, their students and fund education. So great uh, kudos to Hope for going down this path. I wish them all the best with that. And certainly they set a, a, a fine example for for um, for other institutions that might have uh, have similar challenges, frankly, and that's uh, and issues of being responsible and not uh, uh, having students leave their institutions with such huge debt. There's obviously some of that that's self. Uh, self-induced that uh, families that want the value of the education because of, of, of what they think their degree will be worth uh, that they, they're willing to take on that debt but then there's also the responsibility you got to pay that debt back make it less transactional as the president this president said and make it um, one that's much more um, uh, while living out of your of, of, of your principles that you you espouse as an institution so kudos to hope and, and we'll certainly be keeping our eyes on how that goes now, on to our final question. Uh, for those that have uh, followed our newsletter for the last uh, year or so, uh, test optional has been uh, an increasingly important focus of the news stories we see coming in each week. Uh, and it's test optional for uh, it's what started initially as test optional for SAT, ACT. Uh, that certainly accelerated dramatically during the pandemic uh, in terms of what students were going to be required for fall 2021 entry. Uh, that uh, many schools have extended their, their initial trials of a year to two or three years. Some of like the University of California system have uh, done away with testing altogether, standardized testing other than English language proficiency. But you also see testing options, uh, testing debates, testing optional debates uh, covering graduate uh, uh, school exams like the GMAT and GRE. So and increasingly seeing more institutions going that route uh, to uh, not require those uh, beyond just the having pandemic related uh, implications for why they're not requiring them. Uh, but we now have uh, the test optional movement 
uh, with uh, also impacting rankings uh, organizations. So uh, we all know U.S. News and World Reports. Uh, many of us in the U.S. grew up uh, making our college lists uh, that touched on some way or another what, uh, what U.S. News and World Report had for rankings of institutions, whatever that might be. Uh, what we have uh, a new a new group uh, coordinated um, that's uh, this is called New America, a liberal research organization uh, that has rallied 11 organizations, uh, including NACAC, uh, to the cause of removing uh, test scores from rankings criteria. And this is as calling it rather uh, simply the right thing to do. And this is something that I, I certainly think, from an international perspective, this is a, obviously for uh, covering domestic uh, admissions and, and the rankings that U.S. News are available for domestic and international audiences. But the value of testing internationally uh, for standardized testing is as when you think about some of the criteria that um, those that have called for making schools to go test optional in the last year, even before this year, that they would say it's for um, because it's uh, disadvantaging uh, students from uh, minority communities or uh, lower income communities uh, who don't have the advantages in terms of the study options, the study preparation, the education in general to prepare well for the SAT or ACT in terms of what are, what are required on those exams. You now have, um, and certainly internationally, you look at um, what those tests test you uh, on, and they're testing particularly on the English language skills. They're testing students on who have learned, who, they're designed for students who have learned American English in a U.S. high school in the United States. Uh, and the majority of international students are, have, if they've learned English, it's likely been in a British system school overseas in a, probably a different, uh, their own national language, uh, or their own national system school, or perhaps a British language, or British system school. So, Really, the, um, for me, international, international students should never, never have, never should, not, should not be required to take SAT or ACT. Uh, I've, all institutions I've worked at have made it optional uh, for international students. But uh, it, I'm comforted to see in this, uh, they don't make particular reference to international uh, students in this, but they do uh, talk about uh, the value of uh, test blind and test optional policies uh, for institutions. We've just seen a, a, an article this week come out uh, regarding uh, University of California that uh, since they've gone now test blind uh, in the last, uh, last year, they now have the most diverse uh, pool of admitted students that they've ever had because specifically because, the, and they tie that specifically to removing SAT and ACT from the equation. So it's interesting to see, and that was always the, that was always what, one of the reasons many schools decide to make that switch, to diversify their applicant pool and admitted students and eventually enrolled students uh, because of the, the bias that, uh, that they, they see as existing in the tests themselves towards students from minority and low-income communities. So very encouraged uh, that this group is asking U.S. News, a group of 11 organizations, uh, to uh, remove rankings or remove test score results from the ranking criteria that are established, not to abolish the rankings altogether, but just to uh, eliminate uh, that uh, uh, eliminate that as a criteria, test scores as a criteria for how they determine rankings. Uh, U.S. News declined to comment on this story, but they have said in the past that SAT and ACT scores 
uh, count as about 5% of the value of the rankings uh, for the last group, uh, the last rankings they did in the fall. So it's interesting to see what happens. Uh, though U.S. News has, t has said that they're going to include uh, uh, they're not, they've not said how they're going to include those schools that are test optional in the, their rankings, uh, but they are, because there are so many more than there were a year ago, I think they're, they're going to be put in a position where there's, there's gonna make, it's going to make sense uh, that, uh, that there, there, there needs to be an accommodation made here. So it really encouraged that NACAC certainly leading this charge. Uh, Angel Perez, uh, the CEO of NACAC for the last uh, year and a half, two years, that uh, it's been asked, they've asked U.S. News to do this since 2008 to, to remove uh, test scores from the rankings. Uh, NACAC's asked the group three previous times to drop test scores as well. Uh, that uh, back then in 2008 when it was first requested, they did, U.S. News said that it would change its rankings if a meaningful percentage of colleges dropped the SAT-ACT requirement. So if uh, we're, I think we're certainly at that point where a meaningful uh, performance. Uh, the, uh, that's uh, this past year you've seen our, uh, the lion's share of colleges and universities drop the requirement for SAT, ACT because of the pandemic, but also some seeing, uh, seeing the pandemic as covered or make, it, make their policies permanent for uh, eliminating uh, test scores. So as a requirement, so we'll see where this leads. But there's some real interesting, uh, interesting waves being made by some of uh, some of the higher ed community uh, associations, and we'll certainly bring any news along this front to you as it becomes available. So until next week, uh, friends, uh, we encourage you to uh, keep fighting the good fight and uh, uh, live out uh, your principles in your daily lives, as Hope College is trying to do coming up. So until next time, have a wonderful week. Cheers.